Hi, this is Perry Marshall. You're listening to a free, highly abridged version of Evolution 2.0, Breaking the Deadlock Between Darwin and Design. The full, unabridged version is available on Audible and Amazon. Chapter 5. Eureka! Information Theory. The impulse is pure. Sometimes our circuits get shorted by external interference. Rush. At the beginning of this journey, absorbing books and scouring websites, I was gasping for breath in an ocean of confusion and frustration. Biology was such an immensely complex subject, and the debates were so charged with emotion. But the worst part was having no sense of anything solid. The waves of uncertainty tossed back and forth, and I rode them like so much flotsam and jetsam. I didn't have a compass. I didn't even have a boat. I needed something that would make the whole topic less squishy. I thought probability and statistics might help, so I started asking questions like, if a hacker has to try a hundred billion combinations on purpose to guess one eight-digit password, then how long would it take for random copying errors to produce an eye? I soon found lots of people cry foul as soon as you bring up statistics in evolution debates. Some simply refused to entertain such questions at all. Occasionally, someone would remark, obviously we're here, so it doesn't matter what the chances are. I still needed something that I, as an outsider to biology, could use to finally lay my hands on something solid. It turned out that thing was the patterns in DNA. Darwinism versus Neo-Darwinism The term Darwinism formally refers to the theory of evolution as Charles Darwin expressed it in Origin of Species in 1859. He postulated that small variations in organisms over vast periods of time, filtered by natural selection, were responsible for the development of new species. Darwin's original theory might be summarized like this. Gradual variation plus natural selection plus time equals evolution. Darwin himself didn't strongly evangelize his belief that the variations or the mutations were random. Randomness didn't become dogma until the 20th century. Darwin didn't know where the variations came from. He didn't know about genetics, and he didn't know anything about cells or DNA. At the exact same time Darwin was writing his book, Gregor Mendel did a series of famous experiments with peas where he worked out the basic rules of inheritance, the rules everyone learns in high school biology, how dominant and recessive genes are passed on from mother and father to offspring. Darwin had no knowledge of Mendel's theory. He also thought children could inherit learned characteristics from their parents. Neo-Darwinism, by contrast, refers to the modern evolutionary synthesis, which was developed in the 30s and 40s. It rejects the idea of passing learned traits to offspring and adds Mendelian and population genetics, including the non-random recombinations of genes through sexual reproduction, which are critical to our understanding of trait inheritance. Neo-Darwinism explicitly denies any purpose, prediction, or programming in evolution. It is the prevailing paradigm in science today. For simplicity, in this book I will normally refer to Neo-Darwinism and the modern synthesis as Darwinism. Here, the use of Darwinism emphasizes assumptions of randomness. Meyer and Provine's definitive textbook, The Evolutionary Synthesis, begins by saying, The term Darwinism in the following discussions refers to the theory that selection is the only directional factor in evolution. 
In the next few chapters, I ask the question, does randomness even belong in the formula at all? Because randomness and absence of purpose are essential to the neo-Darwinian modern synthesis, I do not consider biologists who reject the random mutation hypothesis to be neo-Darwinists. It would be inaccurate to characterize evolutionary biology as only being concerned with random mutations. In fact, when some biologists say random, they don't actually mean random at all. They mean not goal-seeking. I explore this in Appendix 1, all about randomness, which many technical readers have said they especially enjoyed. Making a Living in the Code Wars I've had the privilege of being right in the middle of not one, but three technological revolutions as they unfolded. I got my first email address in 1995. Two years later, as the internet was catching fire, I was working at a hardware software firm that sold industrial networks. These networks ushered a new age of technology into manufacturing. Suddenly, it was possible to get data from anywhere to anywhere else, and everybody was piling on the bandwagon. The competition was furious. Then there was the astonishing ascent of Google. In 2003, I was invited to a direct marketing industry conference to speak on Google's new advertising platform. Then I published a book, Ultimate Guide to Google AdWords, and it sold well, having been translated into half a dozen languages. To me, Google wasn't some mysterious, magical machine like some people thought. It was just another communication system, a language device based on ones and zeros. Networks for manufacturing, then the internet itself, then the world's most popular search engine, all were just different applications of code. DNA was no different. All these technologies had a great deal in common. They were all about language, digital information, and the opportunity to compete in a crowded marketplace. Each had lessons to teach about the other. Living things, businesses, and technologies alike had to upgrade every day or face extinction. Cell phones, startup companies, and strains of bacteria were evolving in front of our eyes every day. Eureka! In 2002, I'd written a book, Industrial Ethernet, about networking devices together on the factory floor. I included several pages about the engineering concept called OSI 7-Layer Model. This is a computer science model that represents information in seven stages of encoding and decoding. OSI is central to data organization in computer networks. Wading through science websites, I came across comparisons between the human genome and OSI 7-layer model, and then I stopped. I read the comparison again, and suddenly, a thousand connections sparked in my mind. I understood the ones and zeros of computers. That meant I could understand DNA, too. Hey, wait a minute, I thought. This is all digital code. This evidence was the framework through which I could verify or deny evolution. Claude Shannon, an engineer at Bell Labs who had previously developed a new algebra for genetics in his Ph.D. thesis at MIT, pioneered an engineering discipline called information theory. It offered a framework for understanding both computers and genetics. Seen through Shannon's work, the parallels between DNA and our modern digital world were striking and beautiful. Scientists were finding systems in billion-year-old cells that were the same as technologies we thought we invented 30 or 50 years ago. This was exciting because the parallels between computer code and DNA aren't merely analogies. DNA, I realized, is literally code. 
For you to fully appreciate my eureka moment that DNA literally is code, I need to explain how information speeds along this blue cable known as the Ethernet, which connects your computer to the Internet. Let's go there now.